Hey, again, to all the kids, we want to give you a round of applause. That was brilliant. Burger King crowns. The, the donkey was so committed, he stayed on all fours during the song and even walked off stage. So, Palin, well done. Um, and to all the teachers and parents who helped make that happen, we thank you as well. So, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll hear God's word and consider it this evening. Father, we give you thanks for this evening. We give you thanks that you have let us come to see another Christmas to come to the end of another year and to be here is a gift from you, and we give you thanks for it. We pray that as we hear the invitation of the carols, that come all ye joyful and triumphant and faithful. We thank you that this evening also are invited those who are joyless and defeated and faithless because it is into a broken world with people who needed saving that you've come. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to consider Christ and the good news that is of great joy for all people, that to us and to our world a Savior has been born. Help us to consider him this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, Merry Christmas to you all, and my Christmas gift to you is that I am going to preach a sermon that's under 20 minutes. Uh, that should be a Christmas miracle. Micah said to me on the way to church today, he said, I love the Christmas Eve service. We get to light candles. You preach for about 20 minutes. That's what he said. Because usually you do like an hour, but this is the one time you preach for 20 minutes. So Merry Christmas to you all. I want to read for you Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Hear these words, the word of the Lord. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. I want to give you just three things from this passage, three things that Christmas offers to us from this seven verses. And that is that from this passage, you get a belief, a person, and a path. Okay? From these seven verses, you get a belief, a person, and a path. The first thing that this passage offers to us is a belief. Would you consider with me that when you first read these first seven verses, you would almost be led to believe that the reason that Jesus was born, where he was born, and when he was born is because of, did you catch it? An edict comes from Caesar Augustus. So the thought would be that Jesus is led to be born where he's born because Caesar issued an edict. Do you hear the first verse? A decree went out to the whole world. And that gives you a sense of how vast Caesar's empire was. Luke says 
that the whole world, essentially the whole known world at that time, was under Caesar. His empire went from sea to sea. The sun never set on Caesar's empire. And so Caesar, sitting in Rome, issues a decree that a worldwide census should be taking place. He wants to tax his subjects, and so to that end, he issues a decree that all the citizens of his empire should go back to their homeland and be registered so that he can tax them. And as a result of that, we would be led to believe Joseph and Mary have now to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that Jesus might be born. And so at first glance, you would think Jesus was born when he was born, where he was born, because Caesar issued a decree. But things are not as they seem on that first Christmas. Because just under the surface, what you've come to realize is what's really going on is that Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem because Caesar issued a decree, but rather Jesus was born in Bethlehem because God had issued a decree. You see, God had put forth a promise centuries before the first Christmas. He had prophesied through his prophets that Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Micah the prophet had come on and he had said, O you town of Bethlehem, from you will come a great ruler. And so the prophets had prophesied centuries prior that the Savior of the world, the ruler, the Israel's Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so when you read Luke 1, and the angel comes to a virgin in Nazareth named Mary and says to her, you're going to have a child. You're almost ready to be excited, except you go, uh-oh, how is that virgin going to get to Bethlehem? You almost wonder, why didn't the angel just pick a, a virgin in Bethlehem? How is she going to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem for this prophecy centuries prior to be fulfilled? And moreover, the text goes, how is a full-term woman now about to go? What's going to cause her to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And so if you're wondering, how will this be? This is where the text goes, no problem. God will simply issue a worldwide edict to get one couple from one place to another. Do you see that? No problem for God. God will simply wield the most powerful man of the most powerful empire to issue a census so that he could get one couple from point A to where he wants them to be in point B. That's when you begin to see that in this text, what you're being told is God, the God of heaven, the true king, is so powerful that he can wield an empire so that his son will be born exactly where he wants him to be born. The text would have you think Caesar's on, in charge, and then behind that you go, no, no. The God who is in heaven is in charge, so much so that you begin to realize the one who is truly on the throne is not seated in Rome, but is seated in heaven. It's not fate. It's not chance, and it's not the decree of Caesar, but rather God's sovereign rule that Jesus was born exactly where he wanted him to be born. So what the text offers us then is a belief, a belief that the same God who took meticulous care to ensure that every detail around his son's birth would happen exactly as he planned it to happen is likewise meticulously in charge of your life as well. Would you hear that? There's a belief offered to you this Christmas. The God who is in heavens, who just at the time when it doesn't seem like anything is going right, where everything seems to be chaotic, where nothing seems to be right, 
You think of this, 400 years of silence. Israel had not heard from God. It seemed like God was absent, and now things were being moved around because Caesar said so. And when it seems like God is nowhere to be found, he is precisely moving things exactly where he wants it to be. Would you believe this evening? Would you believe, not just here, but would you believe that the God who meticulously ensured that his son would be born exactly where he wanted to be born, even if that meant wielding an empire, even if it meant wielding an emperor, God's purposes will be accomplished. So it was then. So it is in your life. Brother, sister, friend, today would you hear God is sovereignly in charge. But at Christmas, what is offered to us is not just a belief, but second, what's offered in this passage is a person. What's offered to you at Christmas is not just a belief, a belief in the God who is in heavens orchestrating all things, but even offered to you is a person. Do you hear how Luke describes the Christmas story? He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And then he says, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. What does that tell you about what Luke's saying here? Luke names for us what? Real rulers over real places, over real places of geography on the earth, real people in history. Meaning this story doesn't begin a long, long time ago in a land far away. When you hear a long, long time ago in a land far away, you know you're hearing a good fairy tale. You're hearing a good myth. You're hearing a good story with a good moral, perhaps. But Luke doesn't say it that way. Luke says, in the days when Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was ruler over Syria, he's naming for us real places. Syria, Bethlehem, Rome. Why? Because whatever it is, if you disagree or agree, what you have to admit is that Luke is presenting to you history. Luke is presenting to you an account of what truly and really happened. Here's what I want you to hear, friends. Christians celebrate Christmas the way that Americans celebrate July 4th. Meaning when you get to Independence Day, you're not celebrating vague concepts of freedom, this notion of, of patriotism. You're celebrating something that happened in history, that on July 4th, something actually happened. Some founders actually signed a document. A war was truly and actually fought. And so likewise, on Christmas, Christians do not gather in churches so that we can celebrate vague notions of love or these concepts of joy, or goodwill, or charity to all. Rather, Christians celebrate Christmas to say something actually happened in history. Would you hear me? You're not here this evening to celebrate a concept. You're not here to celebrate a belief. You're not here to celebrate a doctrine. No, at the heart of Christianity is there was truly in flesh and blood born into this world a man. There's reality here. There's history here. And that's because Christianity is not the good news that Jesus came to give a concept or an idea or a message or a doctrine. The, the heart of Christianity is Jesus came into the world to do something in flesh and blood. Real history. Something actually happened. What that means then is what's offered to you this evening is not a message. What's offered to you this evening isn't a doctrine. What's offered to you this evening isn't a belief. What's offered to you this evening is a person. A real person. 
That's what the heart of Christianity. At the center of Christianity, you will not find an idea to hold on to, a concept to believe, a faith to adopt, a doctrine to embrace. At the heart of Christianity is a person, a real person born into this real world who lived a real life in perfect obedience to God, who then died a real death, his real body hung on a real Roman cross. And then that real person named Jesus Christ was buried in a real grave and then really walked out of that grave three days later. And Luke says, this is all real. This is all history. It happened in the days when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What that means to you, friend, is I'm not asking you today if you have a belief or a doctrine or a faith, or a concept, or a message, I'm asking you, do you know him? The person Jesus Christ. Do you have a relationship with him? If you're at Seven Mile Road, I want you to hear, gospel centrality didn't die for you. Calvinism didn't save you. Theology didn't give its life for you. A faith system didn't walk out of a grave for you. A person did. A real person named Jesus Christ. And the question is, do you know him? Do you talk to him? Do you love him? Do you serve him? Do you obey him? I am not inviting you to walk out of here with a concept in your heart. I'm asking you to walk out of here with a relationship with a real life person. Because in the days when Quirinius was governor of Syria, when Caesar Augustus was on his throne, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that man lived and died and rose again and invites you to have a relationship with him. A person is offered to you at Christmas. Do you know him? Third and finally, what's offered in this passage is a path, a belief. A belief that God's in charge of every detail of his birth and your life. A person of flesh and blood. But third and finally, a path. A path. Because what this story gives us is a path. And the path is a climb downwards to greater and greater descent. To lower and lower points. The path offered at Christmas, the path of Christianity, is to go lower and lower and lower still. What you know about Christmas, what we celebrate every year, is the staggering thought that he who was wielding empires, causing Caesar August to issue edicts to move one couple, that God became flesh, became a child. Would you consider the staggering thought that the ruler of all rulers, the sovereign God, needed to be tended to at Mary's breast, needed to be cared for? and fed, and changed, and bathed. The God who is above all, the God who rules over Caesar's decrees, is the one who becomes a helpless babe. This is the path of going lower and lower and lower. Or consider the omniscient God who knew everything, needing to now be taught anything. Or consider the one who the scripture says was the word become flesh. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh. That word needed to be taught to speak because he became helpless, going lower and lower. Consider the keeper of Israel needing to be protected. Consider the, the one who gave the law being commanded by his parents, told to go here or come there or sit down. 
the one who gave the law to his people, was now being ordered by human parents and submitting and obeying them. This is the humbling of Christ. But more than that, from the hour he was born, you begin to see the path Jesus would take. Because verse 7 told us that when it came time for her to give birth, she wrapped her son in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Would you consider that a manger? That is the feeding trough of animals. You think of that. The place that a donkey the day before had slurped up food is where God in the flesh would be laid down. That's like a baby laid in a a dog's water bowl. So it would be that Jesus, Lord of heaven, the one who wields empires by the power of his might, would be laid down in a manger. And that's because from the moment he was born, this is how low he had come to be. And the one who would be laid in a manger would ultimately be laid in a cross. That's the heart of the Christian faith. None will go lower than him. And so that means that the path that Jesus sets out is to go lower and lower and lower still. He'll go from heaven to being a babe. And from a babe born into a manger. And from a manger to being dead on a cross. His path will always go lower so that if you're going to follow Jesus, this is the path. It's a path to constant humility, to go lower and lower and lower still. You will not find God in the high road of vanity and glory and name for himself. You will find God in the lowest places because Jesus came to the lowest and the least and the last. And this is the path set for all who would believe in him. So this Christmas you are offered a belief, a belief that God is truly in charge of your life, whatever you find yourself in. This Christmas season, you might be soaring or barely making it. The Lord God, who orchestrated every detail of the Savior's birthplace, is in charge of your life. And what's offered to you this Christmas is a person. Do you know Jesus? Will you walk out of here loving Jesus? Will you go out from here believing more truly Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ, the person? And if you're going to follow him, The Lord God who orchestrated every detail didn't forget to find a place for his son to be born. No, his son was purposely born in a manger to show us what he had come to do, that he had come to give his life even for us, to go from manger to a cross for us. So may you know Jesus and follow his path. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks that you have sent Jesus Christ into this world even for us. And we pray this evening you might draw us to him. Wherever we find ourselves in life, whatever is happening around us, we pray that you might draw us to Jesus Christ, that we might love him and serve him and know him and even this evening celebrate him. We pray that you would bring us from the edges of a, a doctrine or a belief or a concept or a theology all the way to the heart of what is offered to a person, and that we might have a relationship with him for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to communion, and what's offered to us at communion is a meal, a meal that Jesus leaves to all who love him, know him, trust him, who have a relationship with the person Jesus Christ. So if you know Jesus as 